It's a classic computing interview session. Hi, I'm David Grealish, computer historian from ClassicComputing.com. On today's show, I'm joined by Mike Douglas, creator of the new Altair 8800 clone. The Altair clone is a cosmetic and functionally accurate reproduction of the MITS micro-instrumentation telemetry systems, Altair 8800. The Altair 8800 was the world's first personal computer, that is the world's first commercially successful mass-produced personal computer. It established creator Ed Roberts as the father of the microcomputer and Albuquerque, New Mexico as its birthplace. There were a few other earlier machines available in very limited numbers, but none of them came as a complete kit or fully assembled and tested as the Altair did. The MITS Altair 8800 literally kickstarted the entire personal computer industry and is a very important computer in computer history. Thanks a lot, Mike, for uh, meeting with me and, and talking today. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk to you about it. I'm very excited to hear more about the Altair clone. And uh, so why don't we start off with uh, going to your web, go to the web page here right now first. Um, when did this project start? So what, uh, when did you decide to do this and how long ago was that? Well, back in October of 2012, for some reason, I just got bit with the bug to buy an Altair. I mean, I wanted one really bad when I was in, in high school and college and just never could afford it, of course, the old poor student story. Yeah. And then for some reason, I just got hit with the bug and said, you know what? I could fix one of those. I could program one of those, no problem. Um, I got the money now. I'm going to go get one. And... Uh, Sure enough, you can find them on eBay, but man, the prices, you know, the engineer me is still too cheap <laughs> to uh, go out and spend that. And I was thinking, that's just incredible how expensive they are. And I kept waiting and looking at other auctions, and they, they were going for collector's quality or collector's type prices. Yeah, what were you finding? What was the price range you were finding? Oh, anywhere from 2000 to 4000 for your original Altairs. Mm. And it's just difficult to spend that much. And then I wanted to use it, you know, I wanted to dig into it, play with it, use it. When you've spent that much for something to collect or display, you're kind of afraid to use it. If you get it working, then you don't let anybody touch it. Right. But um, our, our generation got to be hands-on with computers and hardware for the first time. Prior to our generation, it was in the aquarium bubble room. You couldn't touch it. Nowadays, you know, it's all surface mount, high speed. You, you can't begin to sit there and work on the computer you're separated by 10 layers of OS virtualization. So right. being able to touch the computers and, and change them and work on them for the first time, our generation was so lucky. Um, and I just decided, you know what, I think there's a lot to be learned from this. Some of us just want to relive it. Other people could learn from it uh, if it was just affordable and reliable. And that's when I said, you know what, rather than buy an old one, I'm going to make one from scratch. I'll learn all the same things and have all the same fun. And uh, it quickly became clear you couldn't do that for a very good price because most of what you needed on the inside wasn't available anymore. Uh, 8080 processors, on right. and on and on. And uh, then I found uh, Grant Stockley's kit, and he did a beautiful job making that. So it had already been done, but even his was up there near $2,000. And, and so, not available uh, any longer. Yeah, and it was really hard to get a hold of him. Uh, apparently, he still uh, responds occasionally, but yeah, I, you know, once you want something, you want to do it now. <laughs> And I'm trying so, to think what, uh, year, what year, when he actually were, was actively making those, you could buy them and all that. How long ago? Was that 10 years ago, maybe? 2006, 2007 time frame. Okay, so not quite, but yeah. some, okay. 
But anyway, so as I dug in this, um, I realized I could make something that at least with the cover on, you couldn't tell it from a real Altair. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I had, at a reasonable price with modern technology that would be reliable, I couldn't duplicate the S100 internals. But from the outside, I could make it where you couldn't tell the difference. So it would have the same lights, switches, exact same performance, uh, cabinets and all would look the same. Uh, I did everything I could just to make the outside experience identical. Okay. And that's what we got here with the clone. It's, it's a way to relive this with a machine that you're not worried about breaking. Uh, the one part of the, quote, Altair experience you'd miss would be trying to debug and keep your S100 hardware going. That might be something some people would miss. Of course, there's going to be um, hardware folks that that was the fun of the computer. Right. For a lot of us, just touching it, all the lights, all the switches, trying to figure out how the you-know-what to get this to run. I've tried four different ways. Why can't I load basic? You know, all those fun things you can do on this because that has all the same limitations as the original. So from the outside, and I'm looking at the website, which is altierclone.com, and it is absolutely authentic from the outside. I mean, to look at it, right? It's pretty much a total reproduction yeah, the only thing you'd be disappointed in is when you pick it up. It doesn't weigh 45 pounds. Yeah. Well, my 8800B weighs about that much. I know the 8800 doesn't have as heavy set of transformers, but um, it's mostly air on the inside, as you can see on the other picture. So it doesn't have the weight, but other than that, yeah, it, it's, uh, it looks just like the real thing. And it is, um, so it's emulated, and you emulate all the, the system overview. You talk about a CPU and RAM, ROM, serial I.O., printer I.O. So it does have those connections on the back, disk I.O. and so on. But, I mean, internally, the way it runs, this is all done through essentially emulation. But it, it's and, – and this is not an area I'm an expert in. But I think I read, and you can tell us, it, um, I mean, it's absolutely accurate how it performs, right? That was my main goal. So I, I went into a clean room or whatever you want to call it where you took no input or influence from anybody. So I just started with original Altair schematics and, of course, 8080 data sheets. And I duplicated those two pieces of hardware as best I could. So, of course, the 8080 emulation is pretty obvious. Um, the Altair, the reason I needed the schematics because I needed to emulate the hardware. Because by emulating the supporting hardware, for example, exactly how the front panel works, mm-hmm. um, exactly what chips are on the CPU board, are the data lines pulled up or floating, etc., by emulating hardware as well, then the quirks and artifacts of how the Altair worked show up naturally as a, just a fallout of that emulation in the clone. Because um, there's a few problems with the Altair. You know, if you do an examine operation when the 8080 is not in an M1 cycle, the examine doesn't work right. That's because the front panel uses a jump instruction or a no-op in the case of examine next in order to dem- uh, look at memory. Well, it can't do that if it's not on a memory on an instruction cycle boundary. Well, the same thing happens with mine. Or when you do a deposit next for a brief fraction of a second because of the one-shot timing on the front panel, the data that was in the previous, I mean, the data that was previously in the location flickers and then boom, the new data shows up. Well, because I emulate the timing of that one shot, that same little flicker appears in the background as you do the deposit next on the clone. So that was, those were my goals, was to do it without influence from anybody else's ideas or designs, start with original schematics, and of course the original data sheet, and go from there on the 8080. 
Um, oh, another thing I want to ask you is in your website, you mentioned that um, you were not able to get Optima, the original manufacturer of the case, to make this. And they actually, uh, I guess, sent you over to Grant Stockley. Right. Grant um, got the case resurrected at Optima, and he had to pay some good money to get you know drawings recreated um, and, and get that job back online with them. So some tooling cost. And so because of paying those tooling costs, you know, they gave him rights to the case. And I feel that's completely fair okay. because I've, I've spent a lot of money on tools and molds and things for my businesses over the year. And I wouldn't want somebody else, you know, riding on my money either. Sure. Now, Grant offered to sell me the cases, um, but the cost from Optima was just going to be way too prohibitive uh, in order to meet some sort of reasonable price goal here. So the fact that I didn't have to support the heavy power supplies, didn't have to support card cage for S100, et cetera, um, I was able to eliminate a bit of the cost by making a bit simpler case on the inside, but yet keep the outside the same. So yeah, it was just a brand new case designed completely from scratch to house the clone's requirements, but then from the outside still have that same look and feel. But is it the case is also lighter? Well, it's lighter because you have no power. I mean, linear power supplies weigh a ton. Well, what I mean is like if you pop the top case off huh? and, you know, compared it to an, a real top case, does that weigh the same? Uh, actually, yeah, that's pretty much identical. Okay. Um, they were 050 aluminum on the top. I think mine's 050 aluminum as well. Okay. Um, so the actual materials are basically the same. All right. But, uh, yeah, we get rid of that linear power supply and then that in internal chassis on top of that, there goes most of the weight. I mean, but that's pretty neat that you were able to find, so another, I guess, another company, or you worked with some some other manufacturer to create that this... These... Oh, no, I just I just did that from scratch. The business I own does a lot of uh, metal work, and so okay. we, have, we have other metal products that we get manufactured for and us. connections. So, <laughs> yeah. We just designed the case from scratch, and it had our same metal house that does our other products go ahead and form this for us. That's great. Um, let me mention this to you too, real quick. So I heard about, so here in the Atlanta area, um, I started a group, it's called the, uh, Atlanta historical computing society. So mm -hmm. we're a little, you know, user group for people that are about vintage computing. And we actually, we just had a meeting yesterday. We have it the third Saturday of every month and we have a email discussion list. So I heard about this from our list and I'm sure they heard about it from CC talk, um, list or something. And so this is probably two weeks ago. And how did this start off? But I remember they were a couple of guys who have real Altairs were discussing in the list too. There's, so there's at least three people in our group that have original Altair with no top case. Isn't that oh, interesting? No. <laughs> and so one thing I wanted to ask you is, would you be able to sell, say, I know this is not what your intent is or you want to do, but do you think you'd be able to, to furnish replacement top cases for people like these three guys in my group? Well, unfortunately, when you get into the very specific details of the case, how it's formed, how it's made, since it is not the original case, it, it was made differently. Okay. Um, the biggest problem is that front bezel um, on the Altair is a custom extrusion that Optima owned. Okay. I don't know what you know about extrusions, but they're no, basically nothing. impossible to get. It's like a Play-Doh factory where you squeeze the Play-Doh and it comes out in a shape when you put different shapes on the front. Um, of course, I couldn't get that at, at short of starting from scratch and building that extrusion. So my front panel is done with, not the front panel, but the front bezel is done without that extrusion. Okay. And therefore, the way the bottom and the top slide into that front bezel had to be different. Okay. 
So unfortunately, as similar as this looks and as identical as uh, you know, all the silk screen and everything is on the front panel, even the rear panel layout is basically the same as one of the generations of the original Altair. Mm-hmm. None of the parts are directly interchangeable. All right. Now, I do have the Altair nameplates available. <laughs> so for whoever's lost the little original Altair nameplate with adhesive, those are interchangeable. Okay. But unfortunately, that's about it. Well, I mean, it's, you know, and again, I'm no expert, though I've been at it for a while and collecting computers and reading and looking at pictures and so on. I've seen a couple of real Altairs. I mean, it sure looks authentic enough. And um, I guess, have you received any, how do I say this? What, <laughs> have you gotten any negative feedback? People who like, you know, why are you, this isn't, why'd you do this when it's not really an S100 bus in there and blah, 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 you know. Right. Well, you get the obvious questions like, you know, can you add S100 to it? Yeah. Um, or, no. you know, why doesn't it have the cassette interface with audio on the back? I can do cassette if you have RS-232 levels. So in other words, the actual data that came out of the cassette, if you run that into the one of the rear ports, it can actually work all the cassette functions of the Altair. Altair Basics, C-Load, C-Save, mm-hmm. all that's identical. But I didn't implement the actual modulator demodulator that puts it on to audio, for example. Right. Um, and so there's always going to be people, well, why didn't you put this in there? Um, but you have to draw the line somewhere in order to finish sure. a product and get it out there at your price target. But and yeah, I- S100, of course... The fact that none of those signals are generated would make this a completely different project to have S100 in it. So that would probably be the biggest limitation that would never you know, take place. I know um, in our email exchanges before this interview, um, I had asked you, and you've already answered part of it, were like, you know, did you work with anyone in, in moving up to this? So like Grant Stockley, and I mentioned Vince Briel. Mm-hmm. And you said, no, I, did, I didn't work with either of them. Um, I know you mentioned, but you did get some help from Grant Stockley or you got some schematics or maybe you can answer that question just once again in our interview. So like, who, who did you get help from? Uh, sure. Um, the, uh, the Altair 32 website by Rich Cini. Mm, okay, um, right. He, you mentioned he's, that. He's just done a great job of pulling together all sorts of information. So all sorts of Altair manuals, schematics, um, software, tapes, all sorts of things are there. Uh, that was a great resource. The, um, the SimH simulator, Peter Shorn's SimH, uh-huh. um, I use that as a 8080 development environment. It's just that is one of the best development environments. You have that window open over here. You have an editor open over there, and you can pull programs in and out. Most of the work I did getting CPM running on this, I used um, Peter Shorn's SimH sim, excuse me, simulators in order to compile the software, use assemblers, tools, things like that. So that was a huge resource. Uh, the S100 website, I'm forgetting that. Was it Pete oh, Moynihan? Oh, or is it Johnson? Or yeah, Herb can't Johnson? Remember. No, not no. Herb Johnson. Uh, Moynihan or something. Anyway, the S100 computers, if you just do a search on that, his website's like one of the first to pop up. He's got all sorts of great information about original boards, manuals for all sorts of things for MITS products as well as all sorts of other products. And then um, a couple of guys that show up on users groups a lot, uh, Tom Sanderson, Martin Eberhard, okay. um, they actually provided some sanity checks for me because they have, they're some of the few people I know that have original Altairs running original Altair floppies drives, and those are all working. 
That's wow. a pretty rare, rare find to have those floppies working. So they were able to, uh, you know, be a sanity check on some of my equipment. I says, you know, when I do this and this, that happens. That just doesn't seem right. But tell me, is that what happens? And they'd say, yeah, that is what goes on. Or no, it's not. So as uh, I did some of the floppy work, they were, they were instrumental in helping me with um, some of that checkout. And so I, those are some of the main people, but okay. as far as getting it going, mm -hmm. it existed and was physically there and running before I really interacted with um, anybody else. But Tom Sanderson and Martin, uh, they did a lot with helping me check it all out and make sure it was really doing what the real equipment does. Well, one other thing I wanted to highlight or bring up is um, in mentioning, so mentioning Vince Briel, who, uh, who does a number of different... Um, Oh, it's the term workalike machines. Uh -huh. So he has something called the Altair Micro, which is essentially a workalike Altair, but it's kind of the similar vision, you know. So kind of justifying your your side of things, where you're not trying to absolutely recreate the Altair with it's a 100 bus. You're not making a perfect reproduction, you, but you're making a pretty pure uh, reproduction from the outside. And right. Hit, the, hit, the main difference you would see there is that, number one, the look and feel is the same if you yeah. wanted that look and feel. Number two, the limitations are the same. So right. in other words, this doesn't have um, a monitor built in or a keyboard or an SD slot, uh, which, of course, would make the computer better. But then again, you could do that and end up with a modern computer and say, well, that, now look how much better it is. So the idea was to keep the original limitations there. Uh, as well. So the only interface to this is basically the serial ports on the back and then, of course, uh, the floppy drives. And so um, Vince's Altair Micro is at least similar in the fact of, uh, so in its case, though, it's not externally, it's not a reproduction at all because it's a much smaller plastic little Altair, mm -hmm. but it does have the front panel and the lights and the switches and it gives you that much of the experience, which are arguably pretty key, you know, at the real world. But then it's a much smaller, you know, emulated device. Um, but, okay, the thing I want to ask you there, are you familiar, though, with so with that somewhat? And I can't get this page to load, but he makes another product. It's called, called a RAM drive. Right. And then you can load, you know, programs off of a, an SSD card. Mm-hmm. How can you, with the Altair clone, um, do you have anything planned like that? or? Oh, it's already built in. Is, so that, okay, what that sorry, RAM drive I did... <laughs> I didn't was, know that. <laughs> what that what that RAM drive did, did, it was move it from 32K of RAM to 64K of RAM. Okay. So that you could run things mostly like CPM that needed more than 32K. That also gave him two disk drives, two floppies. Now, the two floppies that are emulated in the real um, micro, that RAM drive option... Um, those aren't exact duplicates of the original Altair floppy. So the original images of like Altair Disk Basic, Altair DOS, etc., wouldn't run on those floppies um, short of them making translated versions that fit on, on their sector layout. What I did in the clone was completely duplicate the original Altair floppy. The exact sector layout on it, the... Um, Oops, hold on. I apologize. That's okay. Uh, I should turn Real this stuff off. Real life goes on. <laughs> anyway, so the the equivalent of the, the RAM drive that's provided by Brill is built right into this machine already. It's got three floppy drives in it, and those all three are exact duplicates, every track, every sector, exact number of bytes per sector of the original Altair floppies. So all original Altair software 
will run unmodified on the clone. In fact, I've even got routines written that I use like with Martin and um, Tom Sanderson, like I mentioned. They could take an image of one of their real floppies, put it into a file for me with the utility I wrote, which all it does is copy every byte from track zero, sector zero, byte zero, all the way through track 70, you know, 77, I guess, sector 31, byte 137. So it does just an image of the floppy exactly as is. That can then be stuck in the clone and run, just like it is. Or if you worked on your clone and made a floppy, you can save that to a PC, I then have the utility that would write a real Altair floppy with that, and it would then run on a real Altair. That's, so man, that's amazing. the three floppies that are in here, um, you can have three loaded at once. Of course, you then have to transfer the data from the PC back and forth if you wanted to put a, a different floppy on. But once it's in the PC, uh, well, in the clone, I should say, you don't have to be hooked to a PC. You could run the clone standalone for three months with those three floppy drives and you know run CPM, Altair, DOS, Disk Basic, whatever you wanted. So the long answer to your simple question is that the functionality provided by that RAM drive is all built in here to begin with. 64K is built in to begin with, yep. uh, and it's three drives instead of two, but it's about the same amount of total space. The only difference is that the three drives I did duplicate the original Altairs, which are roughly 330K each. That's that's awesome. And of course, you know, now that I asked you this question, it's you spell that out here in the system overview about the disk IO. <laughs> so, but you, of course you just gave greater detail to that question. So it's a good question, right? But of course you answered it somewhat in your webpage already. So that, that's, that's really cool. So, so if you, um, and I want to touch on this in just a moment too, but you can buy the Altair clone and it's six, $621, correct? Yes. And you can buy it either as a kit or assembled. Correct. So now let's say that you buy one assembled and it shows up. So you've just opened it up and you just put it on the table and you just plugged it in. Um, what can you do with it immediately? So like based on the fact that it has the disk IO built in and all that. Well, you're going to have to have a terminal hookup to it or a terminal emulator. Your computer. Okay. Yes. On the support link on our website, we have a download um, section. In fact, one okay. link, one download click will get you everything if you want. We've got... Oh, yeah. Um, We've got the TerraTerm emulator as part of that download, which is a great terminal emulator to use with vintage computers. Uh, I've got Altair manuals, all sorts of basic software, all sorts of demo programs, a couple versions of CPM you can look at, Altair DOS. The the manual that comes with this, we kept it in vintage-looking format, so just good old monospace, no fancy bolds or anything, so it kind of has the original look and feel. But what it does is kind of step you through what to do next. Um, one option is to know what hardware you've got and go get the original manuals and figure it out yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, that can be lots of fun, and, and it's entertaining to do it that way. Or the manual has several examples that you could just start off with right away. For example, here, let's enter kill the bits on the front panel. You could do that the first time you turn it on without even hooking up a terminal. Uh, it gives a course how to load 4K BASIC and run that. It gives an example of 8K BASIC you know, through the cassette interface. Um, nice as far as how that would have worked. It goes into a good tutorial of how to use Altair DOS, how to program uh, a simple echo program and assemble it, and even how to use the Fortran that you could get for Altair DOS. That one not many people are very familiar with because it never did take off, but I think it's uh, historically significant that they were trying. 
And then, of course, CPM. Boy, you can do all sorts of things with CPM. Now, typically, when we ship it, we've got the um, ROMs loaded for you. We put a few ROMs in there, the disk boot loader, to make it easy just to bring up a floppy. Because the Altair did not boot on its own through the yeah. controller. The controller didn't have any ROM on it or anything like that. You had to have a, a ROM card in there with Altair's DBL ROM, which is the disk bootloader, in order to boot a, a disk. Um, and that's in there, and that's it, like address FF00. So you just flip up the switches to FF00, hit examine, hit run, and it will boot the floppy you have in drive zero. Um, for example, CPM, if you had that in drive zero, it would come up and be running just by hooking a terminal up. You don't even actually have to have a computer. Wow. So the manual is to guide you through some of those first steps and let you figure out whether you want to just read and follow along or whether you want to try to figure it out yourself just like an original owner would have. And the support link gives you all the original Altair manuals you're going to want to see. And again, people like Rich Sinney who said, sure, go ahead and put those on your website as well. He's glad to help spread the information. Did a great job of collecting a lot of those original manuals. It's hmm. amazing. So yeah, you can you can get up and running basically instantly. There's a demo programs for front panel. There's some demos in there for um, doing like echo routines if you just want to prove your terminal is working. Of course, there's always basic in games. Um, actually, one of the one of the funnest things for me was in CPM. There's a game called Ladder, which used the VT100 terminal type ability to uh, address and move cursors around. Uh -huh. Anyway, it's like Super Mario before Super Mario existed. It's all done with P's and Q's and dashes, but <laughs> it's Super Mario where you have to jump things and go up ladders and across. No graphics. This is all just text, right. but it's done with uh, addressable cursors. Running back on an 8800 uh, Altair, it just kind of cracks me up. I said, ah, here's Mario before it was Mario. I was pretty impressed with that program. And of course, this is all true, of course, if you get the kit as well, because once you put it together, then, then you can do everything you've talked about. Correct. How, um, how long do you estimate, or what difficulty level, and how long do you think it takes to put, put it together as a kit? The kit is not difficult. All surface mount components are already done. So what you get a board uh, is a board with all the through-hole left for you to do. So that's all the switches, all the LEDs. We left all the resistors, through-holes, so you can put those on. Uh, there's some connectors to wire. You have to wire your DB25 connectors in the back. Uh, you've got to hook up the power supply. Uh, nothing extremely difficult, but we don't teach you how to solder. We don't say, here's how you tin it. Here's what a resistor looks like. Uh, we don't teach you, here's a time to clean your iron, that kind of thing. But it's not a difficult uh, job if you've soldered circuit boards and connectors before. Hmm. So that being said, uh, you could probably do the whole thing in three to four hours without much problem. Okay. And there's there's probably more time in final assembly than there is circuit board assembly. Uh, you know, building the wires for the DB25 takes a while. Everybody's, you know, it's a lot of fun wiring up DB25 connectors. <laughs> um, so some of that actually takes as much time as the circuit board. But definitely a, a fairly easy to build kit. Um, but it's not recommended for somebody who hasn't really soldered circuit boards and stuff like that before. Sure. Okay. And, of course, again, it's the same price whether you uh, get it as a kit or assembled. Yeah, so a few you... people have been confused by that. Yeah. Uh, I'd ask you about it. In the reality of business, you know, part of your cost is support and that kind of thing. So it's a lot harder for us to do a full test on that board not being assembled than, of course, it is after it's all done. 
So it's, it's a little difficult to do tests on the service mount components that are already there. Um, packing the thing is also much more difficult for us because once it's assembled, it's a nice, rigid, everything's in, held in place unit. Mm -hmm. Pack it up and ship it. Well, when it's all the separate pieces and bags and that, for example, that little nameplate is very fragile. We don't want that getting bent or kinked by any of the parts getting moved around. We've shipped enough products in our normal business to know uh, what kind of things UPS can do to things as they throw, <laughs> throw boxes around. So packing is a bit more difficult. And then, of course, we'll gladly spend any time answering questions people might have. But support costs more on a kit unit than it would on an assembled unit. So and the reality of the situation is, uh, as from the business standpoint, it costs you about as much to sell that kit as it did for us to pay somebody extra at work to finish assembling it and ship it out the door. So that's why it's the same. Okay. Um, and you'll notice the the price is basically the same as the original Altair. It was six twenty one assembled. That's why we chose the six twenty one price here. I lo I, I love that because you yeah you have a page under ordering and you've basically got the original sheet and then things circled and showing the value <laughs> of the Altair clone. Right, you get a lot of stuff for free. <laughs> now, of course, this is a price list from January 1st, 1976. I'm being a nitpicker here because I guess, I guess originally, so correct me if I'm wrong, I think originally it was a little cheaper, wasn't it? When the, it was... kit, the kit is cheaper. Um, that 621 price, I went through a 75 price list and a 77 price list, and it was still 621 assembled. Was it really? But yeah, the, so, as a kit, it was cheaper initially, right? Yes, like the 395? kit was, right. Um, it's hard to find that 395 one. I think 429 is what showed up the most, but... Uh, yeah, I don't have that information in front of me. But that 621 I found on three different years price list assembled. And I said, you know what, that's that's the one to go with so that um, hopefully I can reclaim my investment and break even on this one day and make my wife happy. <laughs> and I guess let's touch on that, and we're near closing here. Is uh, So um, this isn't what you do for a living. Obviously, this is a hobby. And this is um, like a lot of great things. It started off as something you wanted to do for yourself. So. I think like what you told me before, you're, you're pretty much just looking to sort of break even. Yeah, I hope to break even on it one day. Of course, uh, anybody that has built anything from scratch, if you want to get a professional-looking job where you've had a metal shop make this or you've had a, a PCB house make your board or you've got a really professional silkscreen job, you know it's pretty much impossible to build one. Mm -hmm. You know, Nobody wants to deal with you to build one. Um, so as soon as you make a commitment to do it in volume, then you've got a lot of dollars there that you just hope one day to get back. Um, and then that way, of course, yeah, I had the fun. Oh, man, I had so much fun doing all this. I learned so much uh, more than just using it because I had to be in the middle of the guts of how it all works. So it's, it's just been a great project for me. And, yeah, hopefully I'll sell enough to eventually get my money back and um, keep the house ha happy. <laughs> Is there a limited amount of them? Like, uh, like, do you have so many made? And I mean, uh, we we ran fifty to begin with. Okay. Um, you know, if they're selling quickly, we can do this over work. and over and over again. Um, you know, my primary business builds electronic products all the time, so I have, okay. I have no problem continuing to produce this as long as you know people want it. Do you want to mention your primary business? Oh, I doubt too many people out okay, there would or... care unless you're into uh, rodeo or huh. or show jumping if you're an English horse rider or if you do dog agility huh. uh, or if you're into autocross, for example, racing your Porsches and Corvettes on the weekends out in airport parking lots. You just described me. 
Oh, no. <laughs> or um, if you love running monster trucks through uh, mud bogs, Who then you may be interested in our primary business. We make electronic timing devices that are used in all those areas. That's and interesting. You, yeah, it's, uh, you can go to electronictiming.com. We've been in business almost 30 years now. And uh, there's a number of those businesses I mentioned that were pretty much the only name in the game, name in the game huh. because of, of the kind of product and customer service we provided over all those years. It's but anyway, just... yeah, so electronic timing, uh, scoreboards, wireless photo sensors, timing equipment, that kind of thing is uh, the primary business. You know, it's not the same thing, of course, as what MITS was before they made the Altair, but there's just, there's just an interesting, striking sort of uh, I, yeah, parallel there for some reason to me. I don't know. Oh, you got to love America <laughs> where you can go out and design and build stuff and sell it and make a living. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's, uh, it's, a, great, it's a great way to live. Is there, um, is, there something maybe, is there something you'd like to add, something I maybe forgot to, to, um, to ask one thing you might want to look at when you go to that Altair clone website is the Altair Experience link. On that page are a bunch of videos that we're creating that go through everything from basic front panel operation using no terminals or anything to how to load 4K basic, how cassette basic was used, bringing up Altair DOS, using the bootloader proms, all sorts of topics all the way up through CPM. Now they don't all exist yet. We're Putting them up about once every week or so. We've got 10 of them up there now. But those videos are a great way to find something to do with your Altair. If you're not sure what to try next or not sure where to turn on what kind of program or thing would be interesting to look at, these will walk you right through it. And by the time you're done with them, you'll frankly be an Altair expert um, all the way up through the CPM days. So that's a great tool to get familiar with everything that can be done on the Altair as well. The main things I want to emphasize is how authentic uh, not only the look is, but the implementation in the inside right down to those disk drives that, of course, they're, they're solid state built in, but the speed, the access rate, all that stuff is all real. The layout is all real. You can exchange real floppies with this thing with um, some easy-to-use utilities I've written. Although, like I said, finding somebody with a running Altair floppy is getting harder and harder. Yeah. Um, the uh, the emulation of the 8080. There is one set of CPU tests out there that, rather than do all these checks, it runs hours of testing and generates 32-bit um, CRCs that represent the state of the machine um, thousands and thousands and thousands of times through the test. That only uh, it's hard to explain this, but the, you don't say, did I pass or fail? What you do is then compare it to real silicone out there. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is that um, you know this version of the 8080 from AMD gives a different CRC check than this version of the 8080 made by Intel. Now, all the Intel versions give the same CRCs for this big suite of tests. And frankly, most of the second and third party 8080 manufacturers did as well. But there's a couple of them. Um, I don't think it was AMD. I'm drawing a blank on what it was. But one of the other companies, it was an 8080 processor, but actually generated a different signature through all these tests. Well, this clone ends up, is so accurate that it ends up generating the exact same signature. It's like 20-something different 32-bit CRCs that represent hours of execution and recording of the processor status over and over and over again. It gets the exact same results as real silicone.
but again, no normal program saw that stuff. A lot of the reason they don't match is unimplemented bits and things like that. So, for example, in the status register, there's some bits that don't get used. Mm -hmm. But one CPU might have left those at one. Another one might have left them at zero. Or, for example, the Z80, of course, which is not an 8080, I understand. It took those unused bits and made other functions out of them. But um, what's interesting is you're not going to find that a lot of the simulators or emulators out there can even pass all these tests. And again, what I wanted was just real authenticity, um, thinking that if I start there, the results should be correct as opposed to, oh, this didn't look right, let me fix that. This didn't look right, let me fix that. I, don't want to, I didn't want to patch in features. I wanted to start with reality, and hopefully all the features would just be a natural fallout. Okay. Um, and then also, yeah, I basically have these in stock. So there's not, I'm not asking you to put your money down and wait six months for it or anything like that. Um, you know, we should be able to ship typically within a couple of days, no matter what. And if you're international, um, we even throw on your power cord. You know, we've done <laughs> European power cords, done Australia. Um, haven't done a UK yet, but we've got a UK power cord. So um, oh. even there, you can do that. Okay. Very exciting. Hey, well, I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about this. I uh, really like to get the word out there about it. I have fun talking about this stuff. It drives my family crazy hearing me talk about it all the time. <laughs> but, uh, I love it. And just to mention, so it's altierclone.com is the site. And then you have a forum there as well. So Just uh, started that, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, as more and more of these get out there and people sure. have questions, we can start exchanging from information there. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of other good forums out there where a lot of people who would use this kind of equipment are already exchanging ideas and questions. Well, um, Mike, I, I appreciate it, and thanks again. And so I'm going to uh, do my best to help promote it myself. All right. Thanks for the time, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And please check the show notes for links and pictures. Go to ClassicComputing.com, then click on Podcasts along the top, and then the Classic Computing Show. Have a listen, too, to some of my other interviews. Go to Interviews at the top of my webpage. My pals, Carrington Vanston and Earl Evans and I, create a new Retro Computing Roundtable every two weeks. Until next time, Retro Compute. <laughs>